We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. We are in a series right now. We're in the middle of a series called Functional Faith. And really the idea behind this series is that we want to help you to get some handles on these common practices of our faith. There are certain things that if you look at the Bible, there are certain things that are like these elements of our faith. And sometimes you wonder, like, how do I actually live that out? How do I do that thing? And the idea behind this series is to try to give you a little bit of help. So we're so glad that you, you join us for this series, especially if you are watching online today or joining us from Eureka. Can we just say thank you and welcome everyone joining us online and in Eureka today? Thank you for being a part of this. Pray that it ministers to you. So in this series so far, we just talked about what functional faith is. And then Pastor Lance preached an incredible message about sharing your faith, how to do that. Last week, I covered how to pray. And when, when we say covered, I mean, there's like so much depth to all of this. You can't really like completely cover any of this. But our hope is that as we dig into these things a little, we, uh, each, a little bit each week, that you get something that will help you to grow in your faith and help you to put something to practice. So today we're gonna talk about how how to read your Bible. And I know that this, like, this can be a couple of different responses. There might be some people who say, I know how to read my Bible. You open it and you read it. And if you grew up in the church, like you probably have a, an understanding, a general understanding of scripture that was given to you as a gift. But there are so many of us that join this faith journey at different moments in our life. And there could very possibly be many of you that are either here or you're watching online that you gave your life to Jesus later in your life after something happened and you're like, what does it mean to read this? Like you get a Bible and you're like, what do I even do with this? There's a lot of pages in this thing. What do I do with it? How do I even look at it? And just like you can have a different worldview that is affected by where you live, the country you grow up in, your family of origin, all those things. The way you look at the Bible is core to what you can receive from it. So I wanna dig in today to how do we even approach the Bible? How do we read it? What is it? What is its purpose. So a couple of weeks ago, we got to go, Brooklyn and I went on a hike in Glacier, the Highline Trail hike, and it was a long hike and it was a pretty warm day. So by the time we were done, um, you know, our friend was like, let's jump in Lake McDonald. Now, if you've ever been to Lake McDonald, you know, Lake McDonald's always cold, doesn't matter how hot it is. It's always cold. It's the deepest lake in the park. And so we're like, we go jump in the lake and we jump in and it just takes the breath out of you, right? It's so cold. And we're swimming and he's like, swim out here a little bit. So we start swimming out a little bit and you, it doesn't take long. Lake McDonald's one of the clearest bodies of water I've ever seen coming from Louisiana. It's not saying a lot, but I've, apparently it is one of your clearest lakes as well. So we're out there and we're swimming and I see like the rocks are just disappearing. So you're out there a little ways and you're five feet, six feet, eight feet, 10 feet, and you can still see rocks and trees down there and it's, it's cool. But then eventually you swim out far enough where it's just darkness and it's just deep. And all of a sudden this, this sense of dread kind of hits me. It's like, if I lose my endurance here, no one will ever find me. I would just like go to the bottom of this lake and the depth of the lake was a little bit intimidating to me. And that's what it can feel like when we look at scripture sometimes, that it's like, there's a surface level relationship with this book that you can have. You know, people put up John 3.16 at football games and most of culture still has an understanding of what that verse is saying. 
But as you begin to dig into Scripture and look at why, does, why is the Old Testament included in this, and there's things I don't like about what the Bible says, there's a depth and there's an understanding that I think if we can get a hold of, it'll help us to understand the Bible a little bit more, even though nobody really completely gets it. So I want to go through just a few kind of set the stage on what this book is, and then we're going to talk about what we should do with it. So what is the Bible? The Bible is, Bible just means book, okay? But it's like the book. It's the book of all books. If you're ever going to rec like recommend a book to someone, this is the book of all books. So when you spell out the Bible, it's a capital B because it's like this is the book, the book that is given to us from God, which is the understanding of believers, but not so much our culture today. This is a really cool fact, though. The complete Bible has been translated into 670 languages. Isn't that amazing? And if you've ever tried to find a translation, there's over 60 English translations. So there's battles and fights in the, in the American church over which translation is the best one to read. The Bible has been both enforced and banned by governments. So governments have stepped in as it is concerned with the Bible it's the most debated, the most respected, the most hated, and the most loved book in the world. The Bible is full of poetry, of history, instruction, biography, and, pro and prophecy. And I would say this, maybe this is just me speaking this, and maybe there's an arrogance in you if you would disagree with this statement, but I don't think anyone completely understands the whole of Scripture. There's questions in there. There's things that you look at and you're like, I don't really get it, and it's okay. It's not given to you as a textbook for you to understand everything. There should be a mystery to God, and the Bible sometimes reveals that mystery or shows us that there is a mysterious part of God that we need to trust and have faith in those moments. So there are 66 books in the Bible. Forty authors combined together to write these 66 books. And there's an incredible and an exceptional unity and consistency across 1,500 years of this book being put together. It's pretty amazing. It's really a miracle that this book was put together. And the authors were kings, fishermen, priests, government officials, farmers, shepherds, doctors. And I think one of the things that's the most amazing about the Bible is what it is, what it does. It's the word of God speaking to us about Jesus, about who God is, about us, about humanity, about the past, about the future. And the most amazing part is not just that it's a historical book, but it is that God is speaking currently to us through this book. So when you open up the Bible, it is not just something God did say, but God is saying and God will continue to speak. Every time you open up scripture, I can read the same verse again and again, and there's something new because God is still speaking through it. The Bible says that his word does not return void. There's never a moment when his word goes out and does not produce something. That's what his word does. This funny thing, though, about scripture is that Scripture can also be used and has been used through history as a weapon. So there is an interesting part of Scripture and what we do with the Bible that we should be aware of and that we can bring our own interpretation or what we want into Scripture. And the way we approach the Bible is really important, that we understand that it is like a rock. It is a stone. It is something that is concrete, that is not moving. We approach it and all of our ideas, like water, are cast on this rock. And everything can break in response to this rock. This rock is the thing that it was before us, it's going to be after us, it outlasts us. It is more important than my opinion. But today we live in a culture where everyone's opinion matters, and your opinion is the truth. 
It's your truth, right? That's the, that's the culture we live in. And if we approach scripture from the mindset that I have a truth already that I'm coming with, then we can distort and, and pervert what scripture is actually saying. And many evil things have been done over history using the Bible as a weapon. And there was a time we went on a mission trip not that long ago to Mexico. And I, as many times as I've been to Latin American countries, I should have learned Spanish by now, and I don't really know Spanish. So we are, we're all trying to speak the language, and we come up with these, you know, we learn these cute phrases, and we, you know, do a Google search for what does this word mean. So people on our team, where we're in Mexico, it's July, and it's hot as can be, and we're talking about how hot it is. Now, if you know Spanish, you probably know that whenever you say, I am caliente, you're not saying it right. So... I am saying, I'm trying to say, and we're all saying, our team is trying to say, I'm so caliente, I'm so hot. That's what we're trying to say. And someone stopped us, one of the, one of the people there on our team who was from Mexico is like, hey, um, you need to stop saying that because what you're actually saying is you're not saying I'm hot. What you're saying is I am in heat, basically, is kind of the, is the phrase that you're saying and you're telling children. So we're saying I'm hot and people are chuckling and we're like, what is going on? What's so funny about being hot? And they're like, no, you're, try, you're saying something that we don't say. The word is calor. <laughs> you should be saying I'm calor. And, and we just, we didn't understand it. We had our own idea that we were bringing, we were trying to bring interpret their language, but we didn't fully understand it. And I think there's a potential for something similar in scripture if we try to just interpret it based on what our current knowledge is. And we think this is what, this must be what the Bible means because this is my perspective. This is my, and I love how Paul even challenges Timothy. He tells young Timothy, who's going to be using the word of God to minister to people. He says, be careful, Timothy. You need to rightly divide the word of God. You need to correctly interpret or explain the word of God, meaning there's a lot of wrong possible interpretations. So I want to go into a few different things. And if you're taking notes, here's a few points that can help you as you look at scripture. First thing is this, trusting scripture is core to receiving from scripture. Trusting scripture is core to receiving from scripture. You know, many have claimed today that the Bible is an outdated book, the Bible says certain things about lifestyles or sins that are just not culturally relevant today. They can't, it can't possibly be relevant. So then what ends up happening is people look at the Bible and they say, that part is outdated because it doesn't match my opinion and my feeling and what I wish that it said. So if that part's wrong, then all of it must be wrong. And if you see fault in scripture and you begin to find problems because you don't like what it says, then what's stopping you from dismissing all of it? It's either all true or it's not true. So I'm going to lean into it and say, I'm going to trust this Bible. If I'm going to get anything from it, if I'm going to get anything from Scripture, I've got to trust that I have what I have on purpose, that God gave me exactly what I need for this time in my life. It's not going to say everything about God or humanity or about heaven. There's so many questions. There's so many things I wish were put in there. But I was given enough to trust God. I was given enough to know what I needed to know. In 1 Peter 1, verse 25, I love this. It says, the word of the Lord remains, how long? Forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. And this whole message is gonna come full circle by the time we get to the end. But I want you to understand where culture is when it comes to the Bible. 87% of American households own at least one Bible, but only 47% only describe the Bible as completely accurate. 
So we've all got a Bible, we just don't trust it. 80% of Americans believe in God, but only 56% believe God as described in the Bible. So what are they believing? What God are they believing? We're believing in, when we dismiss Scripture, we're believing in a God created in our own image, a God that we want to see, a God that we wish, that we just invent. And we say, this is the God. But if we don't look at what Scripture says, we are missing the truth. It's amazing that the Old Testament has passed down. This is such a cool statement. The Old Testament was passed down word for word, like it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946. So imagine this, Dead Sea Scrolls, or just hidden, 1946, for years and years, it's passed down, passed down, passed down. Different scribes and different people are rewriting it and then printing it and printing it. 1946, it was discovered, word for word, nothing had changed. I think it speaks to the fact that there is a miracle when we open up the Word of God. God is protecting it. He's giving us a gift. He's offering something to us that we shouldn't take lightly, that we shouldn't ignore. In the Old Testament scriptures, just to kind of give you a little bit of legitimacy to scripture as well, the New Testament scriptures were officially assembled after more than 300 years of early church acceptance. So the early church would read the authors, would test it. Does this sound like Paul? Does this seem like, here's, here's some of the tests that they used, the, old, the early church used to approve scriptures for the Bible. These are three major tests, apostolic origin, recognition by the church, and apostolic content. Meaning who wrote this was the first test. Who wrote this? Is it written by James? Is it written by Paul? Is it written by Peter? Who wrote this book? Is it written by Luke? And then there was a recognition by the church that the church as a whole over 300 years recognized this is scriptural. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching. And then apostolic content, they would study book by book and say, does this sound like him? It says it is written by him and this was given, but it says it, does it line up with him? And there's one book that we still, Hebrews, we're like, we're trying to figure out, not sure, sounds like Paul, could be Paul, but we're not certain. But the content matched. The content is, yes, this is consistent. So the, the, so the Bible, actually it says this about itself in Proverbs 30, I love this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words that he may rebuke you or expose you as a liar. And I love this challenge from Scripture is saying, trust what's here. Don't try to add to it. Don't try to take away from it. But it's given to you as a gift right now. And, and it's funny how when we don't like something in Scripture, we can tweak it. We can ignore it. I, just, I even do this with Scripture sometimes. Like I, if I'm reading through the Bible in a year or something, there are certain books that I get to and lineages. And you're like, I don't know if I want, I don't feel like reading that. And because of my preference, I don't feel like reading that. I can skip over some really cool little things like the prayer of Jabez, for instance, that's just thrown in the middle of a bunch of lineage verses. And, and I think if we're not careful, we can say, you know what, I don't like that part of Scripture, so I'm going to read this part. But Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you have something you're trying to figure out an answer to about Scripture, keep reading Scripture. And there's going to be, your answers are going to begin to, to come up to the top. So, so God's character is found in the Bible. It's not, it doesn't come from us, but it comes from something outside of us, this gift of the Bible given to us. 2 Peter 1 says this in verse 20 and 21, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit 
and they spoke from God. So there's a tendency for people to say today, oh, that person wrote that. And there's a movement across the church where people are like, I don't like Paul. I don't like Paul because Paul's too mean. So they dismiss Paul because Paul's too abrasive and he just tells the truth. And I think that we've got this idea that like man just wrote this. And we're like, well, I don't trust him. I don't like him. He had to be flawed. I don't. God, the Bible says that God spoke through these people. It wasn't man's own ideas, but it is God that gave us this. And if we don't trust scripture, then we end up compensating because we're looking for answers. So we end up compensating for the needs that we find, the questions that we have with worldly wisdom, with a Facebook post, with a conspiracy theory, with a, with a politician. Those things end up being the source of our life and wisdom and security if we're not careful. And we need to find our hope in God. And he is, I think the Bible gives us the clearest picture of the character of God. It doesn't come from just within. I love that God speaks to us still today by the Holy Spirit in a prophetic way. But even that, when you feel something in your spirit, should be confirmed by the word of God. There's not gonna be any new revelation that is spoken. Anything that is spoken today is gonna be confirmed by the word of God. There's no new gospel coming. It's all right here. If you don't know scripture, then you can be easily deceived. I was at Disney World a couple of years ago with our family and I noticed there's, there's a, an, an area that you can go in that's like the Wild West area. And there's all these, Disney does an incredible job with all these decorations and there's all these cac, cacti, is it cacti or cactuses? Cactuses says, right, cacti, okay. So cacti, there's all these cacti all over the place as decorations. And one of the things I notice is as I'm in line walking by these cacti, they're real plants, okay? This is a real cacti. And every single cacti had every single thorn meticulously removed so that Disney could be the happiest place on earth. <laughs> no thorns, no danger. Got to make sure everybody's safe. We don't want any lawsuits. We want everybody to have a great time. And I thought that is really the perspective of our culture today, that we try to remove everything that could potentially cause pain. We want to make sure that everybody's safe as can be and scripture doesn't play that game. Scripture gets in your grill. And that is a good thing. There needs to be some thorns that we allow to come in to say, oh, I don't like, man, that doesn't feel good. When I look at that, there are verses, I'll just be real honest with you. There are verses I don't like to read. There are verses I read and I'm like, oh, my flesh is like not loving this right now. But it is something that I need in that moment. So a statement's level of difficulty does not determine its truth. Either way, if it's too difficult or if it's too easy, it doesn't make it's true. What's true is true. And I want to look at Scripture and understand that what is being spoken to me, what's given to me, I can trust it. I've got to trust it. Jesus says this in John 6. Jesus gives this, this illustration about how he is the bread of life. And he starts speaking and he says these really odd things about how you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And people are like wigged out a little bit. So it says this in verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining and he said to, him, to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the son of man ascend to heaven again? The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. And at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. And what I love about this encounter with Jesus is that Jesus is saying, listen, I have come to give life, but sometimes getting there is going to hurt. Sometimes getting there is going to be a little prickly. It's going to cause you some discomfort. It's going to be difficult for you to understand, for you to hear, for you to accept. But even Jesus is saying, listen, I mean, Jesus is known as, as grace. He is grace, but he is known as also truth. He is known as the one, and we'll see that in a second, that he is, he's not afraid to offend you. If it saves you, if it rescues you, he's not afraid to tell you what's difficult. And I think when we look at Scripture, we've got to understand that there are going to be moments like that there are going to be some difficult things. In 2018, GQ wrote an article called 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. So the author of this article in this 2018 GQ article said this about the Bible, saying you don't have to read the Bible. He said, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who have not actually read it. And I think, honestly, that's one of the cultural problems we see today, why the church has lost traction, because we aren't living by the Bible that we have. That's another message, though. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It's repetitive, self-contradictory, sentientious, I think that's how you say that, foolish, and even at times, ill-intentioned. Now, if I'm standing next to this guy who wrote this article, I'm going to slowly back away. <laughs> I'm not going to speak that way about the Bible. But I think it's so interesting that someone in a secular culture would have something like that to say about the Bible. And while I fear for her soul, I also understand that there is something that it does in me that it makes me want to say, I want to make sure that I am representing this book that I'm telling the world they need to read as well. Why would someone else need it if they don't see the fruit of it in me? And, and I think we just, we've got to understand that this is not just like a good book. It is God's word to us. It is life-changing. It is God speaking to us. I need him every single day. And if I'm not going to be just praying and God speak to me, God speak to me and ignore this. I'm not going to ignore scripture and ask God to speak. If I want him to speak, I'm going to listen in my spirit, but I'm also going to open up the word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I love that word. I love how it says that it is profitable. It is there. The Bible is there to help you. Here's your responsibility. Let it do what it was assembled for. Let it do what it was put together for. So the first thing that you, that you wrote down, if you're taking notes, is trusting Scripture is core to receiving from Scripture. Here's the second thing. Let the Word accomplish its purpose. Let the Word accomplish its purpose. So when I was, I grew up in the church, I grew up in an AG church, and we, we memorized the New King James Version. We remember, not the whole Bible, that would really be impressive, but we memorized Scriptures. <laughs> We memorize scriptures, and I remember today, even when I'm searching for scriptures, like on, if I'm preparing for a message or something, I have to search 
in the New King James because that's how I remember it. So there's such, there's such wealth in knowing Scripture, in memorizing Scripture, and I want to challenge you to do that. But memorizing Scripture, as great as it is, is fruitless if it doesn't go from here to here. If it doesn't go from your mind to your heart, if it doesn't change who you are, it's fruitless. Francis Chan says this in his book, Multiply. He says, unless your heart is right, you will misuse the Bible, no matter how skilled you are at studying it carefully. What a great challenge. That not only is this book that I read for inspiration or to check something off the list or to feel like I was spiritual that day. It's so funny to me that Christians feel like they need to be spiritual. Demons are spiritual too. It's like, be more specific. What do you mean? And Francis Chan is just saying to me, you need to let the word get in you. James 1, 22 through 25 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing in your face in the mirror. You see yourself and you walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. A couple of years ago, I took Judah skiing for the first time. Maybe this might have been like a year and a half ago. And we were skiing in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So it's not like real skiing, but it's close. So we're going down this blown snow, you know, mountain. And we're skiing and I'm holding his hand and we're starting to pick up speed each run. We're starting to get a little bit more and we're having fun with it. And he's got a big smile on his face and he's having a blast. And he's like, dad, I can do this. You know, like he's so pumped. So we're skiing down this mountain, you know. And then at one point he's like, I can do it. I can do it, Dad. So we're on this little green hill, you know, and we're, I'm just like, all right, son, I'm going to let go. So I let go. And he's like skiing for a little while and he's doing great. And he's like, you know, just kind of like doing the little kid thing like this. And he's skiing down and all of a sudden there's this little snow pile right in front of him and the skis go into it and he bites it. He bites it so hard. And it's not fluffy snow in Tennessee. Like every night it melts and freezes. And then, you know, so it's like, it's rough. And he hits the ground so hard and he gets up and, and my son Judah, when he, when he was younger and he would cry, like every single orifice in his face would, would have liquid coming out of it. So he'd be tearing up, he'd be slobbering, he'd have to snack him out of his nose. And that's the, that's the scene on the snow. He's just crying and crying. And then he finally gets over it. I help him pick up his yard sale and I get it all together, you know, and we, we, I, I get him back together and he's ready to go again. But I was reminded that there was something I had. It was experienced skiing. So I, I, I ski. I was trying to teach my son and he had this head knowledge and this little bit of confidence. But what skiing is and the techniques and the feeling of it, you know, it becomes natural after a while. It's not in him yet. It was something that was given to him. It was put on him and he had this head knowledge of it, but it wasn't in him. It's not instinctual yet. And there's a difference between knowing about the word of God, hearing the verses and, and letting it get in your head. And there are so many people that can be so religious and spout out scriptures and use it as a weapon, but it's not in them. They're not transformed. They're not changed. They don't look like Jesus. They know the Bible, but it's not in them. It's not doing what it was created to do. And I think about the Bible as it is so helpful. It is so surprisingly relevant for today's culture. It's amazing. There's so many people that are like, you know, the Bible is not speaking to whatever's happening today. The Bible speaks to culture and to man. Do you know that like marijuana 
pornography, sexting, social media, engagement, and transgender issues, all of those things are spoken of in the Bible. Not by title, not the same word, but the Bible addresses the heart behind every one of those things. And there are so many things today that we're like, well, the Bible doesn't talk about it. It's a gray area. I just make a decision. No, is it like, does it come from sin? Because the Bible sure as heck talks about that. So, so there's got to be, when it gets in you, it begins to transform the way that you think. And in Hebrews 4, verse 12, this picture is so good. It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's not dead. It's not just a history book, but it is alive for right now. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And then what does it do? It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes what's, what's going on here. When you read the Bible, you need to let it get in here. You need to let it expose who you are expose what's happening, the lies that you've believed. And the devil is so, he's clever, but he's stupid. Because what he's done is he, he kind of sticks to the same lies. And I think the stupid ones more often are us because the devil's been using the same tricks since the garden. The first lie that he used to deceive man and woman was, did God really say? And today he's saying it to the same, he's saying the same thing to our culture. Did God really say? Did God really speak to that thing? Did God really address that, that, that issue, that sin, that thing? Did God really talk about that? The, the enemy is still using the same lies today. But what I love about scripture, even though it hurts so bad when this happens, it exposes for my well-being. There was a tornado that passed through a nearby town in Baton Rouge a couple years ago, and we went out to help to do some, some storm relief. I've got a photo of the neighborhood where we ended up going to do some relief, and it was just kind of this street that you could see it passed down this street and just wrecked everything on this street. So we're there, and we are trying to help clean up these people's homes and, you know, get their stuff together, trying to salvage photos or different things for these people. And we're walking around, and someone comes, and they see that we are a church team, and we're helping, and they say, hey, they've got some muscle. Maybe they can help us. So they said, can you help me? I've got a camper, small camper, pull behind your truck camper that you can, uh, if you guys don't mind, can you come and help me flip it back over so I can get in and see what I can salvage in there? So we go to the camper, a bunch of guys. And the ironic thing is that these are a bunch of guys that were like part of like recovery programs, like guys who had, had, in, had endured um, different addictions throughout the years. And they were in this re recovery program, just a great group of guys that we all get together and we, and we, it was like 10 of us, we grab this camper and we flip it over. And when we lift up this camper and we flip it over, the side door of this camper flings open. And you can imagine a tornado throwing a small camper. Everything is thrown around on the inside. When we flip it over, the door comes open and out slides stacks and stacks of pornographic magazines. So all these guys, I mean, it was like the most ironic thing that could ever happen to all these guys dealing with addiction. But we all thought it was so like God that God would expose what was try, what tried to be hidden. And this guy was trying to, he was just like, oh, 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 you know, trying to like make up excuses and oh, I don't know how that got here kind of thing. And so he's like, we're all just like back away and he's trying to hide his, his sin. And I just thought, even though the Lord doesn't always want to embarrass us, he always wants to reveal and expose things. He's going to expose it to you first and give you a chance to do something with it. 
And I think that when we open up scripture, if we're not letting it expose what's wrong in us, we're not letting the word of God do what it's called to do. We've got to let it get in us. We've got to let it expose the things in us that Jesus is trying to say, can I have that? Because I want to make you more like me, but I can't do it if you hold on, if you hold on to that thing. So the Old Testament, let's look at just a couple of things about the Old Testament as we, tra- as we transition to this last point. The Old Testament is known as the Jewish scriptures. Before we had the whole complete Bible, the Jewish people had the Old Testament. They had the Torah and they had all of these prophetic works and together it is known as the Jewish scriptures. So they tell the story of the Jewish people under the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant God made with Abraham. This is the scripture that they have. The New Testament or what's known as the Christian scriptures tell the story of Jesus and the early church under the new covenant that God made with all of humanity through Jesus. So you've got these two books that come together. And what's amazing about these two books in Old Testament and New Testament is that you see Jesus centrally pointed out and pointed to through all of it. So whether you're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament, you see all of scripture pointing to Jesus, revealing him and, and speaking of him and prophesying of him. And when you, and when you think of scripture and you think of all, that, all, all that's there, there's a wealth of it. And it's funny, like, like after you watch a movie the second time, you know how like you can look back and you're like, oh, now I see he was a bad guy the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I see what he was doing right here. I see how he was... Well, when you, when you have the whole of scripture, we have such a gift that we can see, oh, I see what God was doing. I see why Jesus had to come. I see why all this sacrifice talk and this blood talk, what all this was, I see all of it now. We have this incredible gift that those who lived in the, as the book was being, as those books were being written, they didn't see the picture that we see. And we don't see the whole picture. We still see in part. But we have this gift where we can look and we can see Jesus again and again. Here's the last thing I want you to know when it comes to reading scripture, look for Jesus. Every time you open the Bible, New Testament or Old Testament, look for Jesus. We just did a series, In the Fire, where we talked about Daniel and his friends standing strong in a wayward culture. And there's a story of these young men being thrown into a furnace and there was a fourth man in the fire. And many scholars believe that was Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord showing up to Joshua, showing up to Abraham. Many people believe that was Jesus in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he was the word that was spoken, that the earth formed into existence. Jesus is all over. And I think if we miss that if we don't look for Jesus, we're missing this great gift. And in John 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, a name for Jesus, okay? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full, here it is, of grace and truth. Isn't that beautiful? You can see Jesus in all of scripture. No matter where you read, get this, even in lineages, you look in lineages, the book of Matthew opens up with lineages and it talks about where Jesus came from and there's some powerful things in there as well. 
There is nothing in scripture that is not useful. When you begin to look for Jesus, you begin to find redemption, you begin to find grace and truth. That's what we need. We need that combination of both of these things. We've got to look for Jesus. And here's what I want you to understand. If someone wrote you a letter, wrote you a book, wrote anything, what would, my question would be, if someone spends all of this time writing this book, I would want to know, why did you write this to me? What are you trying to say? What's the point of this? What is this? Is it just so that I know the right and wrong things to do? What is it? Is it just to help me to live a good life? What is the purpose of this book? I think overall, the overarching message of the Word of God is Jesus. Jesus is God's message. When you look at the brokenness of humanity that's outlined in Scripture and you see these stories we don't know what to make with, we don't know what to make of these things, we see the brokenness of humanity, we see the need for Jesus. When you look again and again at Scripture, we see, oh, if it weren't for Jesus, we'd be in a mess. Now, I love how Paul even says, if what we're saying, if this gospel message that we're proclaiming isn't true, we are the most pitied of all because we've put our hope in this thing, because we've put everything into this. And he says, the gospel message is worth giving your life for. It's, it's, it's the truth of Jesus. If what this word says about Jesus is true, and we as a church absolutely believe it is, it's everything. It's worth giving our life for this message. This gospel message is more important than any other message that you'll hear, that you'll see tweeted, that you'll see posted, that you'll feel in your heart, any other feeling that we have. There's a lot of good things to give your life to and to give time to and money to, but the gospel message, the message of Jesus is it. That's all, that, that is the reason that we still exist. The reason that we're here is this message. And that's what the word of God gives us. It gives us the message of Jesus that all of humanity, including you and I, are desperately lost and gasping for air without Jesus. And we need Jesus, and we see him here. And admiring him doesn't have any saving power though. You can admire Jesus all you want. There's a lot of people that we admire. It's following Jesus, surrendering our life to him that changes who you are and changes the world around you. So I wanna ask you today, man, I hope that, I hope that when you look at the Bible, I hope there's something I said today that'll help you to read it, help you to get something out of it, help you to approach it with anticipation and trust it a little bit more. But more than anything, I pray that you find Jesus, that you find Jesus in scripture again and again. And every time you open it, you see the gift of a new revelation of who Jesus is. Sometimes it's gonna be truth, Sometimes it's gonna be grace. Sometimes it's the perfect combination of it that you need that day. But I wanna find Jesus. So I wanna ask you today, maybe the story is that you're online and you're watching and you're just checking it out and you're just trying to figure out what to do with your life. Like Pastor David was saying, we've had difficult months and I love that the Bible does tell us that you are not alone. He is with you. He takes hold of your hand today. It's an offer to you from now to the end of our life that you have to take the hand of Jesus today. So if you're watching online or maybe you're in the room and you're like, man, I need Jesus. 
more than I need religion, more than I need anything else. I need to see Jesus and I need to respond to Jesus today. So the response that I wanna give you an opportunity to take part in is just to say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's say yes again to Jesus. But I just wanna give you a chance to say yes, Jesus. I trust you and I need you. And I thank you for this story that you've given me of yourself. And I wanna know you. I wanna know you. So I'm gonna ask you to just close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Let this just be a moment between guests and God himself. And if you're online, you're watching this by yourself or maybe with a family member, just take a moment to just let this be personal between you and God right now. Hear the heart of God. The Bible tells us there's no distance too far. There's no place you can run and hide from him. And, and, and I remember thinking of that perspective and being afraid. But the idea behind that is not fear. It's that I come to the darkest places that you find yourself in. Even in the spots where you think there is no rescuing, no hope, I'll come to that spot for you. I'll come to right where you are. There is nothing too filthy that I won't step into. If Jesus reached out and he touched lepers of his day, certain death, if you would touch one, he would definitely reach into your life, reach into where you find yourself and your story, whether it's full of sin or whatever, it's darkness or confusion, whatever it is, he wants to reach in today. If you don't know Jesus today, or maybe you would be honest and you would say, I've made some kind of a statement of faith before, but I'm not faithfully following Jesus today. And I wanna surrender my life to him. I wanna give my life to him. I wanna trust him with my life. If that's you and you're here in this room and you say, I need Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. Maybe again, maybe for the first time. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I know who I'm praying for. If you're online too, I want you to comment. I want you to say, hey, I believe. I believe, I trust Jesus today. I trust Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to stand up. Let's just pray a prayer of repentance before the Lord, just inviting him to come in, saying, I invite you to be a part of my life. I trust you. I trust you. You've given everything to me. You offer me this brand new life and I want to surrender it all to you. So let's just pray a prayer of just authenticity before Jesus. So let's say this together. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I need you today. I thank you that you came to earth and you lived a perfect life, but you died a sinner's death. My death on a cross. You gave it all so that you could know me, so that I could know you. So today I lay down my life. I walk away from my sin and I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you pray that prayer, whether you're in the room today or you're online, please let us know. We just want to help you to find your next step in following Jesus. So in that connect card that Pastor David talked about or online, you can go to hopechurchmt.com connect. Just fill it out and say, I made a decision for Jesus today. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. 
Also follow us on social media at Hope Church MT. Be blessed and have a great week.